Lance Dove, Locked On Kentucky, joins me today on a special crossover edition of the Locked On Zags podcast as we get you ready for the big game between the Zags and Cats on Saturday afternoon. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome on into this crossover edition of Locked On Kentucky and Locked On Zags. Lance Daw, Andy Patton hanging out here with you, previewing the Kentucky Wildcats and the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Throwing down and up this weekend should be a very fun game. Going to get to talk about what we know about the Zags so far this season. Dive into the struggles uh, for both of these teams. Actually talk a little bit about what Kentucky's been up to lately and give our final score predictions. Andy, before we dive into any any specifics here, I just want to kind of get your thoughts heading into this matchup. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster of a season uh, for both of these teams, and I think this one may have some tension uh, in it uh, come Saturday. Yeah, it's it's uh, first of all, excited to get a chance to do these crossover episodes. I was just telling you before we hit record, I don't get to do them very often with the conference that Gonzaga's in, so always fun to get these opportunities. Uh, I think this is a, a huge game for both teams, and I think it's – it highlights why it was so critical and cool of these two schools to agree to play this game in February, because now it kind of elevated the stakes a little bit. Gonzaga doesn't have any quad one games. That's a massive black hole on their resume right now. Kentucky has struggled as of late. They've struggled throughout the year on the defensive end of the floor. And I think it creates a situation where, you know, they want revenge from last year when Gonzaga beat them in the first of this six game series. And they want an opportunity to pick up a big win and kind of reestablish themselves uh, as they compete to get towards the top of the SEC. Gonzaga is just desperate. They're desperate for, for a big win, a marquee win to build that resume, to put them in a position where they don't have to win the WCC tournament in order to make the NCAA tournament. They haven't missed the tournament since 1998. And so it's a, it's a, uh, every everything feels a little elevated right now for Gonzaga, I know. And so this this game feels like a really big opportunity for both sides. And I'm glad it's being played at this point in the season, even though I think it's making a lot of people in Spokane's stomach churn just thinking about it. Yeah, I think that definitely because of the fact that this game is in February, it, it does really raise the emotions here. And I love that the fact that we can look up in the middle of February and not see a conference game with significant stakes, but oh, Kentucky and Gonzaga are playing on a weekend in like with with serious stakes uh, on 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 deck here. So absolutely, I think this one's going to be fun just simply because of. Uh, that and you mentioned there a little bit about Gonzaga and their resume and where they've been this season and kind of maybe some struggles and some some tensions rising in Spokane dive into for a second what this season has been like so far for Gonzaga you and I were talking about it a little bit before we started recording it's not necessarily gone as far as expectations go uh, at least compared to seasons past. Yeah, and I think that's the key is that last part there that I think can be difficult. Gonzaga has raised the expectations of this program to an extraordinarily high level. I mean, eight straight Sweet 16 appearances. They've made the tournament for, you know, 25 years now in a row. Like the the AP streak ended after they lost to, uh, to Santa Clara. That was their first time not being in the AP Top 25 since 2016. I mean, the, the stakes, are the, the level that this program has been at for the last half decade plus is otherworldly. And I think that them not meeting those expectations this year has caused some strife. And certainly the the changes in college athletics so with NIL and with the transfer portal has a lot of people kind of, you know, a little uneasy, especially if their teams are having an uncharacteristically bad year of like, is this 
more permanent. Like, are we going to struggle to, to, you know, add talent or, or whatever in friggin' Zag, I think there was a confluence of factors. Uh, anytime you lose your all-time leading scorer in Drew Timmy, that's going to be difficult. You lose an NBA first-round pick in Julian Strother. You lose two veteran guards in Malachi Smith and Rasir Bolton. And you have three players under the transfer portal, which has almost never happened at Gonzaga. That's exceedingly rare. One of them, Hunter Salas, is having an all-ACC caliber season at Wake Forest. And it's just all that combined with having some late players leave in the offseason. They had a player suffer a career-ending injury about a month before the year began, a international recruit who decided to leave the program right before the year began, like just a lot of, and then Steel Venters, who was expected to be their starting small forward and their floor spacer, a desperately needed three-point shooter. He tears up ACL two days before the season begins. That level of misfortune is pretty rare to have that all happen in one year. And despite all that, Gonzaga still adds, you know, a top 10 point guard in the country in Ryan Nempard via the transfer portal. They still add a big man in Graham EK who looks like he very possibly could contend or even win WCC player of the year. Uh, and so there's still a team that has a ton of talent. They just, they're not shooting the ball well historically bad for them from three. That's a huge issue. Ryan Nembhard has bumped his three-point percentage up around 30 now, but he was about 15% in the non-conference. It was killer for Gonzaga to not be able to space the floor. Defenses were able to pack the paint. It made it more difficult to get Graham E.K. and Anton Watson the basketball. Uh, they were going under on screens, forcing Nembhard to shoot. He wasn't making them. It was a, a mess in a way that we haven't seen from Gonzaga's typically very free-flowing, very consistent uh, – efficient offense we just weren't seeing that this team is better defensively than they've been in the past part of that is the absence of Drew Timmy who was not particularly good on that end of the floor so we are seeing a team that is top 40 in Ken Palm defensively they've been very good on that end of the floor they're just not quite as good offensively in a lot of ways because of that outside shooting uh, but they're still a team that I think has plenty of uh, they just they don't have a lot of depth but they have plenty of talent uh, in that starting lineup and have proven that they can play really well at times but on other situations, they haven't stepped up when needed. I want to focus here on the offense for just a second. You talk about how, you know, maybe some personal issues throughout the season before the season have led to maybe mm. some mixing and matching some things that Gonzaga didn't expect that they were going to have to do, or maybe some things that they expected they could do, haven't been mm. able to produce so far this year. When you look at this matchup against Kentucky, mm. do you start to kind of throw some of those issues out the window, knowing what Kentucky is on the defensive end. How do you think Gonzaga is going to attack in this game? Do you think they'll have success? Yeah, I think uh, we've seen them in recent games start to get a little bit better at figuring out the pick and roll. And I think that's an area where they could potentially exploit Kentucky's poor defense. They haven't been good on that end of the floor all year long. I think Gonzaga is going to look to ways to, to potentially make that work. Uh, we've seen them use Nolan Hickman more in the pick and roll in the, in recent games, uh, as opposed to Ryan Nembhard, just because Hickman is a better shooter, which means if defenders go under that screen, he's more likely to step back and knock down that open three. Uh, they've also been running some short roll screen uh, pick and roll actions a little closer to the basket. Uh, it clogs up the paint a little bit, but if Hickman or Nembhard can make that entry pass to Graham E.K. on the short roll, it, it has worked really well. So I think Gonzaga has some ways they can attack Kentucky. They don't have a lot of like, hey, we're just going to put a lot of rim pressure on you. It's kind of it's the opposite in some ways of Kentucky's guards, who that's what they do is they're going to get downhill. They're going to get to the basket. Gonzaga doesn't have guys who do that all that well. I wish they did, because I think that's an area that you can exploit. Kentucky's bigs have been getting in foul trouble a lot. There's not a true rim protector who's, who's stood out for this team yet. And I don't think they're going to attack that way as much just because they don't have the personnel for it, but they're going to pound the ball in the paint. 
they're going to give the ball to Graham EK a lot. In games where Gonzaga has just needed a bucket, Anton Watson has stepped up in a tremendous way. He had 35 points against UCLA. He had 34 or 35 against Santa Clara uh, in a game that they lost, unfortunately. But when Gonzaga needs a bucket, Anton Watson has been that guy. And he played very well against Kentucky last year. And I think he's going to be a big X factor for them on, on both ends of the floor as well. Talking about both ends of the floor here, just as far as pacing goes, my final question to you here. Do you think Gonzaga, with their top 70 adjusted tempo, is going to want to push the pace with Kentucky in this one, or are they going to want to try and slow it down with guys like Graham Ike in the front court? Are they going to try and pound the ball inside and make this a more physical game? To me, that's the, the biggest question coming into this game. I'm very fascinated because on one hand, Mark Few and Gonzaga really don't like to operate outside of their normal comfort zone. Mm-hmm. They've ne- they always try to push the pace, but it hasn't worked that well this year, in part because d- defenses have figured out to, you know, don't even crash the offensive glass, just get back, don't let them get out in transition. And that has been effective. And in part because Gonzaga just they don't have the depth. They play seven guys. They're starting to play an eighth guy, Luka Krajinovic, freshman guard, who has missed about a month with a hand injury. He's kind of crept into the rotation. But in big games, Nolan Hickman, Ryan Nampard, and Anton Watson very frequently play all 40 minutes. And in their loss to Washington, they were up 11 in the second half, and they watched it disappear. Against San Diego State, they got they were down. They got to a point where they had a lead in the second half, watched it disappear. Same thing against Santa Clara. They are tired at the end of games because they don't have the depth. So pushing the pace against a team that is as athletic as Kentucky, that likes to get out and run as like Kentucky does, feels like maybe not a good idea. We've seen teams slow Kentucky down and win. That is what South Carolina did in in, in a very effective way. So to me, if you look at the tape, you look at the personnel, it makes sense for Gonzaga to try to slow the pace, use their big men, go to Graham E.K., try to get Bradshaw or Visich in foul trouble, try to get into their depth in the front court and play more of a half-court style offense. But I've been following Gonzaga basketball for 15 years. Mark Few's been there for 25. He doesn't do that very often. So that's where I'm really curious what that chess match looks like, because I think that's the best path to victory for Gonzaga. And certainly I don't think they win a track meet, but I'm not sure if he's actually going to be willing to to make that kind of change at this point in the season. Speaking of changes, the Kentucky Wildcats right now rotating as frequently as they possibly can, trying to find the best lineup possible with some injuries and with just some confusing results uh, from some of their different players. I want to dive into uh, what the Wildcats have been so far this season and how they match up with the with the uh, Gonzaga Bulldogs. We'll talk about that in just a second. Before I do that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at FanDuel. Happy Super Bowl Sunday to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about getting some friends, getting some snacks, finding the best seat on the couch, and scoring some super awesome bets. And FanDuel has so many different ways for you to end your season with a W or two or three because not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58 between the 49ers and the Chiefs? But FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. On top of that, maybe you have a receiver or a running back or a tight end that you think is going to get in on the action. I know there are a lot of Swifties out there that are going to be paying attention. If you want to lay something down on Travis Kelsey, you can absolutely do that at FanDuel. So many more different ways to bet on top of that. So new customers, if you join today, You'll get $200 in bonus bets if your first bet of $5 or more wins. All you have to do is visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. 
You can make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, continuing along on this crossover edition of Locked On Kentucky, Lance Dahl, Andy Patton of Locked On Zags hanging out here with you, breaking down this Kentucky-Gonzaga matchup this weekend. We've heard about the Bulldogs and about their story so far this season. Let me go ahead and tell you, Andy, this season for Kentucky has been a little chaotic. All over the place uh, have the Wildcats been so many different changes uh, to this team that we've not seen. You talk about Gonzaga and Mark Few and the way that they've kind of been who they are for for years now. John Calipari made some changes this year, and it, it looks like a very different team, albeit a, a very chaotic one. Yeah, it's yeah. Having watched Kentucky a handful of times this year, it's been really interesting to see uh, some of the changes Calipari has made, uh, adjustments to the way he's coaching. Some of them, uh, again, dealing with injuries in the front court. They were basically didn't have any front court players to begin the year, but. For, from a Gonzaga fan's perspective, listening to the show, I think just first of all, just kind of an overall look. We know this team goes out and, and pace. They, get, they run a lot. They're struggling defensively. But on offense, what are they looking to do primarily? Like they have this three-point guard monster where basically their two best point guards are coming off the bench, which is kind of an insane fact about this team with the way Rob Dillingham has played and Reed Shepard in particular. What are they looking to? Are they attacking the basket a lot? Are they running a lot of pick and roll sets? Like, what are we? What are we seeing from this team offensively? Uh, and how do you think that might look on Saturday? In the past, you've seen a lot of weave from Kentucky, just trying mm-hmm. to identify matchups on switches. And I think you're starting to see a lot of similar things this year as well, with the two primary guards just ending up getting buckets out of those different types of mm-hmm. sets, being Antonio Reeves and Rob Dillingham. Kentucky very quickly on the offensive end of the floor through different things like pick and rolls, like a weave, like different things, just trying to get uh, switches, flare screens, trying to get different guys open. You see Kentucky very quickly try and identify a matchup and just attack it. And that may look like a few different things. It may look like DJ Wagner getting downhill and putting up a floater in the mid range. It may look like Antonio Reeves coming off of a screen and and popping up, uh, popping a three. It may look like, Reed Shepard getting involved as well, going downhill. Rob Dillingham, excellent at finishing at the rim at different times uh, as well. Kentucky utilizes their big men, I think, to create pass outs for open shots. They don't really get involved in the paint a ton. Trey Mitchell, at different points this season, has been the guy to get those touches in the paint and either post up, go downhill, get that layup, or fade away for a little bit of a jump shot in in, in that near painted area. But as far as Kentucky operates on offense, they're looking to get a matchup with a guard quickly within their offensive set. And they are able to attack and and finish uh, pretty consistently. This team averaging uh, right at, I think, 88 points per game, if I'm not mistaken. I I may need to go check that. But they're still very high scoring, very fast paced. They blitz up and down the court. And I've said for several years, despite the personnel changing dramatically this season, I think Kentucky is at their best when they want to get out and run and get to the rim. And we've seen time and time again this year, Kentucky is really good whenever they're able to outpace and out-athlete an opponent just by simply running up and down the court. They've just simply got the dudes to do that. Now, this year's a little bit different because they are significantly more reliant on the three-point shot than they have been in seasons past, which has made some super fun basketball in Lexington despite some losses and some questionable defensive efforts but this offense absolutely loves to run up and down the floor loves to shoot as many shots as possible 
which will actually, I think, play into this matchup whenever we go into uh, predictions here in just a little bit. But this Wildcat team loves, loves, loves to look for a shot as quickly as possible and then take it whenever they get the opportunity. They are not afraid. They've got some guards like Rob Dillingham and Antonio Reeves who are not afraid to shoot. What stands out to me in that entire conversation about Kentucky's offense is that preseason, the highest regarded prospects joining this team in the freshman class were Justin Edwards and Aaron Bradshaw. Neither of them get mentioned in this and justifiably so. Whereas Reed Shepard was, I think, their like fifth highest regarded freshman, maybe sixth. Rob Dillingham, I think, was fourth. Obviously, Bradshaw missed time early in the year with an injury. But even since his return, neither he nor Edwards have made a significant impact on this team offensively. Do you see that changing in this game? Do you see that being something that continues to kind of hamper them going forward this season? You mentioned that they don't use their bigs to score very often. That certainly uh, probably plays an impact in Bradshaw's case, I would imagine. But Edwards is kind of your prototypical six foot eight small forward wing, and he just hasn't seemed like he's really made much of an impact on this team, particularly not on offense. No, he he really hasn't this season, and it's a little bit of a disappointing thing, right? Because heading into the year after seeing how Kentucky played in the Global Jam and their couple of exhibition games, Justin Edwards looked like a dog. Like, he mm-hmm. had some moments where he had to kind of gear up, had to kind of, you know, find his way at the beginning of a game, but halfway through the game, he found it. He was able to get to the rim with efficiency. He was hitting open shots in transition from outside the arc. I mean, he looked like a a, a lottery pick. And since the season has begun, he has not been able to find his spot, I think, on this team. If Justin Edwards were elsewhere and he was more of the primary focus on a team and they were running things to get him open, I think statistically he would find more success. I think he's a very talented kid. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. He's just not fit in perfectly, I think, to the way that Kentucky wants to run their stuff so far this season. And I had an episode a couple of weeks ago talking about what has happened with Justin Edwards. Why has he fallen from this potential number one overall draft pick all the way down to where he's kind of irrelevant in the conversation relative to other players on Kentucky's roster, multiple players on Kentucky's roster. And it's just simply because he's, I think he's not been able to find his shot consistently and he's not been able to find opportunities that he can, he can actually cash in on consistently it's it's weird because Kentucky's got all these different guys where you look and you see Shepard. Oh, he's hitting 50% from three. Rob Dillingham's hitting 40-something. Uh, Antonio Reese hitting 42. All of these different guys, you watch them in a game. It's just like, wow, wow, wow. And then it's Justin Edwards' turn. And then he goes to dunk the ball and he can't even get it over the rim. That's happened like four or five times this this year. And so whenever Justin Edwards has a negative moment, I feel like this fan base highlights it just a little too much because it's in comparison to all of these different amazing offensive things uh, that you're seeing uh, from these other players. So I think part of it is the fact that he's just not been able to find his way. Part of it, I think, is his surroundings. But Justin Edwards, if is he going to be a factor moving forward? I want to say no. I want to say he's not going to be compared to the other guards on this roster. But I will say this, he had 17 points against Vanderbilt this Mm -hmm. past week or a past game. And I understand it's Vanderbilt, but the fact that he was able to actually go out there, explode in transition, find his spots, get some really solid rebounds, play some good defense. I think that could be a potential spark for him down the stretch. It could be, but if I'm being realistic, he's probably going to continue to take a back seat, at least in terms of touches 
to these uh, to some of these other guards, understandably so. Last question for you, Lance, is kind of a two-parter. I want to talk about this Kentucky defense because there has been a lot of words spilled uh, and spoken about about this team outside the top 100 as we record right now in defensive efficiency at Ken Palm. That is exceptionally rare uh, for a team of this caliber. And I think it, it seems to me like it's kind of a multifaceted issue of just of personnel, of scheme. They don't really have any rim protection. And I, I said it was a two-part question because I want to kind of ask what – what you're seeing from them defensively or, or maybe not seeing from them defensively that has led to some of these issues. And, and if you think Zivonimir Avisic, who we haven't talked about much yet, what his impact could be, because he had a really great first game and, and just kind of blew the world away. He was all, all of a sudden in like top fives of mock drafts after playing 13 minutes in his first game. He's been a lot quieter since then. He had a good performance against Villa or Villanova against Vanderbilt, uh, but he fouled out in like, I think, 12 minutes of action. So certainly feels like he's still finding his rhythm, his groove a little bit. Does he seem like a player who could be uh, a fix for some of Kentucky's defensive issues uh, and, and coming into this game, how do you think Kentucky might look defensively against a, a, a not as good as usual, but still very good Gonzaga offense? I think first of all, to talk about the defense here for a second, it's a multifaceted issue. I, I, absolutely. It's a couple of different things. I think it is partially personnel. I think Kentucky has recruited a lot of really solid guards and a couple of really solid wings and forwards that just collectively just cannot put it together on the defensive end as perfectly as maybe some teams in the past that Kentucky has gotten or some recruiting classes that Kentucky has gotten in the past. That I don't think is the full picture though. I've said this a couple of different times and I don't want to come at the coaching staff too hard. Part of Kentucky's defensive issues is effort and coaching Mm -hmm. and effort comes from coaching. You have to be able to get your kids in the position and give them the desire to play on defense. A lot of issues on defense come from the inability to do it because you don't want to, because you don't want to put out the effort. Kentucky's got some guards on this team that are really, really good at scoring the basketball. And sometimes, I won't even say sometimes, consistently have mental lapses on the defensive end of the floor. I think that if you had better coaching, you would get those guys in the right mindset consistently down the floor and you would get more stops. I think that it is partially personnel. Kentucky's got some guys that just simply don't have it in them to play perfect defense or elite defense, and I think it's partially coaching. They are not getting the coaching that they need to play better defense. I don't know if that is talking to them about having more effort, teaching them how to have more effort, or it's within the way that they practice. What are they doing in practice that actually through drills or things like that that are helping them with their defense? Why is it not working Why is this coaching staff with a Hall of Fame coach not being able to kind of take them to that even average place with all of this talent? So I think it is multifaceted where it's personnel, it's coaching. Maybe some of it is also because of the fact that they play so fast. You give yourself so many possessions, but you also give your opponent a lot of possessions. If you're going to play with that type of tempo, if you want to look at statistics, Kentucky right now, opponents are shooting 32.6% from three which is pretty okay. I mean, it's not a bad number, but if you let them shoot 10 to 15 more times a game more than they do, you're going to give up more points. That's just simply how it's going to work. And even at the rim as well, opponents are shooting 48.8%. That's still in the top third of the country nationally. It's just if you give them more possessions, they're going to score more points, even if they're less efficient. 
So I think Kentucky on defense, part of its offense, part of its personnel, part of it's all these different things, but gosh, they need to find a way to figure it out here down the stretch. And Zvonimir Ivasic could be somebody that helps them. Now you've got to go through a game, play more minutes without fouling out against a team like Vanderbilt. Vandy also does a really good job drawing fouls, so maybe you need to see more information here with, with Ivasic playing against different teams, maybe like Gonzaga. But Ivasic this year, and I, I told somebody about this after the Vanderbilt game, I'd be interested to see him come back for one more season with Kentucky and kind of build back some of that weight that he lost because when he got on campus, he lost, according to Coach Cal, like 20 to 25 pounds after being sick, after coming to America. He's lost a little bit of that physicality. I think right now he's battling that. You can see that against different forwards that just simply have more weight than him despite being six or seven inches shorter. So I think Kentucky with Ivasich, will he be a factor this year? I think he's still got the chance to be defensively. He could be really important for Kentucky down the stretch. But I don't know if he would be as impactful compared to an Ivasich next year if he does return that maybe has a little bit more weight. Well, Lance, one of the things that increased, we talked about this a little bit already, of this game being played in February as opposed to November. Which of these two teams, and I'll talk a little bit on the Gonzaga side of it, because I do think Gonzaga's in a better spot now than they were in November. They seem to have more camaraderie as a team. They, they've played together for more time. Like this was a team that only returned uh, three rotation players from last year's team. And one of them, Nolan Hickman sliding from point guard to shooting guard. One of them, Anton Watson's taking on a much bigger offensive role. One of them, Ben Gregg, has now slid into the starting lineup. So they're all kind of in different spots. And I think that that has made this team much better than they were in November. Having said that, Kentucky wasn't healthy in November. They did not have Ivasich. They did not have Onyenso. Uh, they did not have Bradshaw. And they have a, a very young freshman team. So I know Kentucky has struggled the last couple of weeks, but looking at this team right now and their their odds against a team like Gonzaga as we get into making our predictions here, do you feel like this team is, is better equipped to win a game like this than they might have been in November? Because uh, I think Gonzaga probably is, uh, but they, they a lot of the issues that have plagued them all season long, three-point shooting, depth concerns, uh, foul trouble for the bigs, they're, they're still there. So I don't know how much of a difference it's going to make for them necessarily, but Kentucky's situation obviously is different. I'm going to try and not ride the fence here <laughs> because I think you could say yes or no to this. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Kentucky, with their youth, mm -hmm. I think you could say no, they're still very young. Mm -hmm. They may not be better equipped after, after what, 18, 20 games mm -hmm. uh, uh, of play. They're not at bet, like, ex like better equipped to the point where it makes an impact in this contest because you've seen them lose at home recently to teams yes. like Florida. You could also say, well, no, they've beaten teams like North Carolina. They've competed against teams like Kansas. Mm -hmm. You know, They've had that competition. And so, yes, 20 games is enough of a sample size to say they are more, well, they're, they're better prepared. You could also say no because of the fact that, you know, Kentucky wasn't healthy in November and they're not healthy now. UJ Wagner's been out for a couple mm -hmm. of games. Trey Mitchell didn't play against Vanderbilt. They, they've had some, a Duthiero's not been able to play consistently this season with some back problems. They've got injuries up and down the roster right now. Ivasich has been sick like multiple times. Um, you've got issues up and down the roster right now where heading into this game, you could say, well, no, they're still not playing at 100%. So they're not better prepared. Uh, to win this game. I, I'll say no uh, compared mm -hmm. to November. If, if I'm not going to fence ride there and go back and forth, mm -hmm. I'll say they are not better prepared compared to where they were in November because of the injuries 
because of the recent losses at home that you've seen like against teams against uh, with Tennessee, Florida, um, losing on the road to South Carolina the way that they did uh, was a huge issue as well. Um, Kentucky, I don't think right now is is in a better spot outside of the fact that they've had two of their better guards play all throughout all of these contests and have still been able to ball out. Now it hasn't uh, prohibited them from losing uh, some of these games, so I I, I don't I it, it's hard, but I'll say I'll say no, they are not in a better position. What does that mean for you in terms of a prediction for this game then in terms of a, a score prediction or a maybe a line prediction or or something you think that, that might happen in this game and how it might shake out on Saturday? Because I think it's going to be a really exciting, hopefully a really fun close game, but it feels like it could go a lot of different ways. I think if Trey Mitchell doesn't play in this game, it actually benefits Kentucky in a couple of different ways mm-hmm. because they're going to force Uganda and Yenzo to play more often in this, in this game. And he's Kentucky's best shot blocker. He's their best defender. He had, I believe, eight blocks against Florida. It was it was eight or nine blocks against the Gators uh, it, whenever he was actually able to play uh, full-time. He is Kentucky's best defensive prospect. He may be their only defensive prospect. And if he's able to play 20 to 30 minutes in this one without fouling out against a guy like Graham EK, I think that, that that's a matchup that Kentucky can work with. And if you can shut down EK, I'm curious to see where else this Gonzaga team goes in terms of you know how they utilize their possessions. Um, I think that Kentucky, with their pace, being at home, having, I think, overall better guard play than Gonzaga has had so far this year, Mm -hmm. at least in terms of consistency. I like the Wildcats in this one. I would take them by somewhere between three to eight points. I don't think this is going to be a blowout. I think it'll be very competitive because of the fact that Gonzaga is just going to probably be able to score at will at different points in this game, regardless of who's getting the ball. Um, but I, I want to say that Kentucky does find a way to pull this one out because of their style of play, because of their environment. It's hard to go against Kentucky's ceiling, their best. And you don't know if you're going to get that any given game. You could get that now. You could get their B-plus game, and it'd be a dogfight, and you could lose. You don't really know what's going to happen. But with the, with the ceiling that this team has, it's really difficult to pick against them, especially at home. Yeah, ceilings versus ceiling. It's I don't think it's particularly close. Kentucky's is much higher. Uh, my key is kind of the same as yours. It's it involves Grammy K, and part of it for him is foul trouble. If he gets in foul trouble, this team is in in a in a problematic spot. Braden Huff is their backup center. He's had some phenomenal offensive games this year. He just scored 25 against Portland coming off the bench on Wednesday. He's had multiple 20 point games. He's a redshirt freshman. It's been phenomenal to see what he's been able to do on offense but he is a turnstile on defense. And against St. Mary's, uh, when Graham E.K. got in foul trouble, they took him out in like a 90-second span. Braden Huff gave up seven points. That was the difference. That was why Gonzaga lost. Uh, you don't always pin a loss on one player, but that that made a huge difference. Yeah. And if Graham E.K. gets in foul trouble, which has been a problem for him this year, he's known for those big hook and holds, and he gets called for those quite a bit. If he does that and has to sit, I think Gonzaga's chances drop significantly. Because Braden Huff is just not the caliber of defensive player to do anything against Kentucky if he gets caught in pick and roll actions, if he gets caught with the post player uh, with the ball on him. So to me, that's the big key. If EK can stay out of foul trouble, can play for 32, 35 minutes in this game, uh, I think 
there's a very good chance Gonzaga wins, a very good chance. But I'm just not confident enough for that to happen. So I was going to say Kentucky by five or six. I'm kind of right in the same line as you. I think Gonzaga is going to keep this one close. I think it's going to be a heartbreaker for them. Uh, they're going to drop to 0-6 in quad one games and be in a really, really precipitous spot going forward this season. But there's definitely a path. There's absolutely a path to a Gonzaga victory in this game. Uh, but it's going to take a lot of things falling their, falling their way, and it's going to definitely take Graham E.K. playing on that floor as long as he possibly can. It's going to be a good one. I think it's going to be a good one either way. Andy, thank you so much for hopping on on this crossover edition of Locked On Kentucky and Locked On Zags. You can find me on Twitter at LanceDahl underscore. You can check out the Locked On Kentucky podcast wherever you get your podcast. Andy, shout out not only your Zags podcast, but you uh, you host another really good Locked On <laughs> podcast as well. Yeah, I host the Locked On College Basketball Podcast with uh, Isaac Shade, the host of Locked On Tar Heels. So we'll definitely be previewing this game on Friday's show. Uh, we'll also talk about the the implications of this game next Monday as well as we get you covered on all of the games. that You can find that at Locked On College Basketball wherever you get podcasts. You can find me on Twitter, Andy Patton, CBB. And, of course, you can find Locked On Zags as well, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get those podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, Kentucky versus Gonzaga this Saturday, non-con showdown. 